You know what the scriptures say? The Bible says that God manifests his word through preaching. That's the book of Titus, chapter 1. And there's something about studying the scriptures that I love so much. I love to study. I love to read it. But I'll tell you what, there's something else when you hear the word taught or hear the word preached because what happens is revelation knowledge just begins to flow. And it's the most interesting thing. I learn so much just sitting under people when they preach the word of God. And tonight, I just feel so honored to have a man of God in the house. And I'm being ministered to. I'm loving the revelation I'm receiving. And I'm just eager to just enjoy what the Lord has put in his heart tonight. So Brother Ted, I want to welcome you up. It's good to have you in the house again. Well, let's give Jesus a hand tonight. I know you love him. Come on, give him praise. I got a singing spirit on me tonight. Amen. That was a joke. Lift your hands all over the house if you would. Begin to magnify that name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't he wonderful? Give me just a little more keys if you would, my brother. We're Pentecostal here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, there we go. If you could, in the back there with my vocals, just make me sound a little bit more like Michael McDonald. Thank you very much. Praise God. Every hand lifted. Magnify that name that's above every name. I sense his presence here. It's going to be a good night tonight. Nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. to hear I love to sing its words for it sounds like music in my ears it's the sweetest name on earth do you know this song? come on everybody we're singing oh how I love sound good tonight. Come on, lift your voice. Oh, how I love him. Sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. It is because he first love would you sing to me he's wonderful come on everybody sing to me he is so
say this. His name is Jesus. 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 There's just something about that name. It's Master, Savior, Jesus. Like a fragrance after the rain. His name is Jesus. 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 Let all heaven and earth proclaim that kings and feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, lift those hands and sing it again. He's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Declare it. There's something about. Oh, there's something about that name. And I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. And Jesus, He has changed my whole life. Come on, say this. to the high 
the blood that gives me strength oh, from day to It'll never lose. I know it will never lose. It's I feel that tonight. One more time all over this house. Sing it will never lose. It's power. So Father, tonight we thank you for your mighty word. We thank you for your presence that's in this house. We ask you, Lord, let this be a night that you Pour out your spirit upon every one of us. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Let us see what we've never seen by the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray that this would be a night that yokes would be broken. I pray that tonight burdens would be lifted. Turn our stories around. Turn this nation around by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we've been declaring and praying all week long, I pray that every antichrist agenda would be blown out of the way by the power of the Holy Ghost. Let revival hit this nation and let revival hit Montana. Let revival hit the city of Billings like never before and bring in this end time harvest of souls. We thank you and we give you praise. If you believe it, somebody shout aloud, amen. Come on, somebody clap your hands if you love the Lord. Praise God. Well, I'll declare it again. Tonight's my night to receive a miracle. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm so happy to see every one of you on a Thursday night. And I can't believe the week's going this quick. I mean, tomorrow night's already Friday, already towards the end of the week. And I've been blessed. I hope you have. God's moving. I'm telling you, he's always moving for hungry people. Always moving for hungry people. There's never a time when the Spirit of the Lord's not moving. That should encourage you. No downtime. Somebody say no downtime. And I want to show you that principle from the book of 2 Kings, if you have your Bible. I almost couldn't, I was a little late to the service tonight, couldn't find my Bible, and I thought I lost it at the house. And so I, I, uh, I found out later that Pastor Jordan had kept it here at the church. He was writing his sermon notes in here so that I'd stop preaching uh, false doctrine, he said. So... Thank God this is his sermon I'm preaching tonight. I saw his penmanship. No. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 6. And um, I want to show you something that I believe is so vital to the life of the believer, the spirit-filled believer especially. And uh, there is power in your words. There's power in your confession. What you say, what you declare... As you align what you say with the word of God, there's power that flows out of your mouth. Can you say amen? There was a preacher by the name of Charles Caps. He wrote a book years and years ago that was called There's a Miracle in Your Mouth. Powerful thought process that when you speak the word of God, then the power of God flows out of your mouth. You know, Jesus operated in the same power that his father operated in. The Bible declares that in the beginning when God wanted to create, what did he do? He spoke things into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. And so God carries a creative speaking power. And then the Bible declares that the word 
made flesh that dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Isn't it interesting what God sent down in human form? He sent his word down in human form. If you think about it, Jesus was the walking word of God. He was the walking word of God. The word made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus would speak, he said things like this. I can say nothing unless I first hear the Father say it. So we know that Jesus wasn't just speaking on his own accord. He had a mission to accomplish and fulfill. And he did, aren't you glad? And the Bible says he would speak and speak and speak. And when he would speak, things had to change. Do you realize that demons had to leave people just when Jesus spoke? His word was too much for demons. His word was too much for sickness and disease. I love this story, uh, and we're going to get to 2 Kings in a moment, but I want you to see, you know the story in the book of Matthew, and it's, it's echoed again in Luke, the story of the centurion that comes to Jesus, who has a servant that's back at the house, sick with palsy, laid up. And he said this, he said, Lord, uh, my servant lays home, sick with palsy. He said, but I've watched you, and you're a man of authority. He said, I am too, but in the natural realm. When I tell my servants come, they come. When I tell them go, they go. He said, and I've watched you. You're the same, a man of authority. He understood Jesus had the ability to speak with authority. Now, I'll give you a deeper aspect to this story that's really interesting. I'm talking about it from the Matthew perspective, but if you look at it from the book of Luke, you know what's interesting about Luke? He was a doctor. He was investigating all of these things to tell the story to Theophilus, as he did with Acts, you understand that he's a narrator. He's investigating all these stories about Jesus, and he's extremely specific and detailed when he tells these stories. The book of Luke is the most detailed of the Gospels because of the style of writing that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to do. And if you read the story of the centurion from Luke's gospel, you know what's a cool thing you'll find? The centurion didn't come to Jesus himself. If you read it in Luke, he sent servants to make his request. To further make the point, I don't have to come. I'm just sending my servants to you. Oh, hallelujah. It's a mirror of what he expected to happen by faith. He's saying, see how I do this, Jesus? I stay where I'm at, but I send by authority my servants, and they come to you and do what I've commanded them to do. The same way that I've done this, I'm asking you. And Jesus was willing to come to his house. He said, no, you don't need to come. Speak the word only. Hallelujah. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be made whole. Somebody say, speak the word only. There's power as you speak the word. He said, speak the word only. And what the centurion was able to do in the natural realm, Jesus was able to do in the supernatural realm. You know what Jesus said? He marveled. And he said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Well, he didn't mean that as he walked through all the towns and villages of the nation of Israel, he was talking about the people of Israel. You know what he was saying? You're not even a Jew. You're Italian, and you've got more faith in me than my own people do. 
That's the point he's making. He's saying, you're a Gentile. You're not even in the covenant that we have with the, the Heavenly Father. You're a Gentile, and you believe in my Messiahship more than the Jewish people do. He marveled at that level of faith. Great faith. Hallelujah. You know what's an interesting thing? Is that great faith can be seen in Scripture, and, it, and Jesus marveled more, more than once at great faith. But notice this, in this case, the reason Jesus marveled at his great faith was because of his belief and ability that Jesus could just speak the word. You know, he said, I'm not looking for hands to be laid. I don't need a prayer cloth. I'm not looking for you to anoint with oil. I don't need any special, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of service at the house. All I want you to do is speak. And that, in this situation, that was the thing that made Jesus marvel and say, what great faith that is. The other time you see great faith and Jesus marveling at someone's faith, it was the woman who was a Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus, also not a Jew, and she said, my daughter is possessed by a demon spirit, and I want you to heal my daughter. You know what Jesus' answer was? It's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. He called the woman a dog. You can't get away with that in 2021. He called the woman a dog. And you know what she said to him? She said, true Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he marveled at her faith. Now, let me tell you two different things. The first was because of the person's ability to believe in the spoken word. But you know what the second one was? It was in the woman's ability to not be offended. If you want your faith to keep working, if you want your words to work, you got to stay in love. You got to stay away from offense and stay in peace and in joy and in forgiveness. Don't all run around the room at the same time, but you've got to walk in supernatural forgiveness if you want to see your faith work. And as you begin to speak, see, that's why the devil works so hard to get people into a spirit of offense, because the moment you get into a spirit of offense, you're outside of love. And if you're outside of love, you're outside of faith. For the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 that faith works by love. God is love. So the moment you step out of love, you're stepping outside of God. Woo! Surprised not everybody's just jumping and shouting and bucking and sweating. My God, preach it, preacher. You know, you know, you know the kind of preaching that people like to hear from televangelists and people on TV. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you've been. It don't matter who you're sleeping with. It don't matter what you're smoking. I came to tell you there's a double portion coming on you. You're like, my God, that's <laughs> And then you hear somebody, you got to walk in love. You got to forgive those that have spoken about you behind your back. He must be preaching to somebody else. <laughs> but we got to have love if we're going to have miracles. We got to have forgiveness if we're going to have faith. And the Bible says he looked at this woman and said, I'm marveling at your faith because you can't be offended. You can't be pushed off. You won't be neglected. And from that moment, her daughter was made whole. Notice here he said, speak the word only. Matthew 8 and in Luke as well. Speak the word only and my servant shall be made whole. I love this. If you're taking notes, it's something great to write down. But see, notice this. The Spirit of God 
and the word of God, they work together. They don't work independently of each other. They work together. You know, it always makes me laugh. And you know me, I'm a, I'm a worship guy. I love worship. I love praise. I was a music director, and I'm, I still do some of that sometimes for my father and other people. Love worship. Love praise. But I've been in services where people go, oh, my God, we had church today. I mean, we just praised the whole time. Pastor didn't even get a chance to preach. You didn't have church. Woo. Got real quiet real quick. You know why? Because God honors his word. And see, one of the things we know is if we're praising him with his word, if we're worshiping him with his word, that's why I don't get with worship songs that are contradictory to what the word of God says. If it contradicts God's word, then I don't sing it. I don't believe it. I don't, because God only honors this, not our opinions, not our emotions. He honors this. And so we can declare the word through a worship song or a praise song. But if the word's not going forth, then the power of God's not going forth. Can I tell you? something that marks my generation and people younger than me, the problem that I'm seeing in our generation is that it's what I call a Saul generation. The people, they love the worship, but they don't want the word. Saul didn't want to obey the commands of God, but he loved to have David come into the courtroom and strum that harp and get that evil spirit off of his mind, but he didn't want to obey the commands of God. See, we live in a Saul generation. Everybody wants a worship conference to stand around and soak for three hours and have all the singing and all the lights and all the smith machines, but at the end of the day, what happens? I mean, people can even fall out in the Holy Ghost, but the real question is, what happens when you get off the floor? Are are you still serving the Lord? Are you obeying his word? And we're dealing with a Saul generation that they want to just all sing and dance and shout and have a music festival. But are we going to obey the mighty word of God? See, because it's the word of God that releases the spirit of God. Oh, yeah. The Bible says in John chapter 14 and verse 21, Jesus said this. It's in red letters. Came out of his mouth in red. It said, he said, those who have my commandments and obey them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. One translation says, and reveal myself. To him. So the people who are in position to receive the manifestations of Christ are the people who have his commands and obey them. That's why this greasy grace message that's gone out through the world, this hyper grace false doctrine, that it doesn't matter what you do or how you live because it's not about you, it's about him. It's about what he did, not about what you did. And that God's looking through at you through the you know, filter of his blood and you know, his grace already forgave your past, present, and future sins. And you know, they're preaching this to our young people to the point where everybody feels comfortable living in sin because of this greasy grace message. I believe in grace, but what I don't believe in is a message that makes people comfortable with sin. Anything that makes you comfortable with sin is demonic. And they've taught people. Listen, the way you hear some of these people preach, Paul would have been off the chart for them. They would have corrected Paul in the way he wrote. Why would Paul write back to the churches in almost every letter and write to them and say, stay free from sin? 
Don't fall back into sin. Live like I live. Imitate me and don't live in sin. Should we keep on living in sin now that we are saved? God forbid. Why would he write those things if our actions don't matter? Why would Jesus show back up to the churches in Revelation and say, I know your deeds? Well, it's not about our deeds. It's about what you did. No, no. I know your deeds. You don't love me like you once did. And if you don't return to the former way of how you used to live, then he said, I'll come back and I'll remove your candlestick from among the churches. Jesus gave them that kind of judgmental warning that if they didn't get back to doing the things he called them to do, they'd miss out on his blessing. And see, God's looking for faithful, obedient people that will take the word and obey the word. And see, when the word goes forth, the power of God goes forth. So I wanted you to put this in your notes if you have them. God's, the power of God's spirit travels in the vehicle of his word. The power of God's spirit travels in the vehicle of his word. It is the spirit of God moving through the word of God. That's why when God created the world, it was, without question, the power of his spirit that was creating. But it was through his word going forth. In fact, it says about Jesus in John chapter 1 that without him was nothing created that was created. In fact, this is something that will stir your spirit up. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. Of course, if you go to Bible school, if you go to, you know, uh, seminary or whatever, you have to take a course, and sometimes it's multiple courses, and the name of the course, the fancy word, pneumatology. But if you break that word down, all it is is logos and pneuma smashed together. Pneumatology. It is the teaching of the breath of God or the wind of God, about the Holy Ghost. It's a course on the Holy Ghost. But notice that word in the Greek language, pneuma, it means breath or wind. In fact, even the Old Testament Hebrew word, ruach, was a sound that they would hear as the wind would blow into the tabernacle. And it was a guttural wind sound that they would call ruach. It was a sound of God's wind and his breath as it filled the tabernacle. Notice the first man who ever came to life. The only thing God ever created with his own hands. The man was formed from the dust of the earth. But he was just laying there as a sandcastle man until God moved his face down and blew his breath into Adam's lungs. And when that breath came into that sandcastle man, he became a living being. But people say, well, what was that? That was the breath of God. That was the Holy Ghost that came into Adam's body and made him a living being. Because the Holy Ghost is a life-giving spirit. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is a life-giving spirit. In fact, if you look at the Creator's original intent, you look at Adam, how God intended for man and Eve, woman, to be when they were created. He did not create him poor. He did not create him sick. He did not create him depressed. He did not create him broken. In fact, did you think about this before? That God was so intent on Adam not 
being without or having nothing. He wanted him to have an abundance and be blessed that he wouldn't even create Adam until he'd fully created a garden and a world that was filled with stuff for Adam to be blessed with. He didn't create Adam first and then the rest of the garden. He said, let me create your environment first. Let me create the trees and the fruit and the animals and create something for you to subdue and have authority over. And I won't create you until the whole setting is in order. So all I got to do is drop you down into the middle of the blessing that I've put together for my man and for my woman. And God took care of them before he even created them. If you look at the original intention for man, it was that man be whole, that man be healed, that man be strong, that man be righteous and in right standing with God the Father. But not only that, look at this point. God breathed his breath into Adam and he became a living being. All scholars agree that the breath of God is the Holy Ghost. And that shows you here that Adam was the first Holy Ghost filled man on the earth. He was filled with the breath of God. He was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, this is just my opinion. I'm not preaching this like doctrine. But, you know, I asked myself one time, I said, you know, there was no civilizations on the earth when Adam was created. There were no nations. There were no separate countries. And the Tower of Babel hadn't even happened yet. And so there weren't even any Hebrews, and there weren't even any Jews. There was just Adam and Eve and the family. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that God would come down in the cool of the day, and he would walk and talk with them. I often ask myself, what language did they speak in? Because if there were no nations, and there were no languages, and he was the first Holy Ghost-filled man, could it be possible that Adam spoke to God in other tongues? You ever think about that? I mean, you think about the fact that he's speaking, because here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. He said, any man that speaks in another tongue speaketh, speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him, and he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. When you speak in tongues, you're speaking a heavenly language. You're not speaking an earthly language. I don't care how much the Baptists teach it. You're not speaking some known earthly language. Even on the day of Pentecost, if you read the text, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that as all those men, devout Jews from every nation under heaven, came to Jerusalem for that Passover and the Pentecost feast, you know it was happening. And the Bible says when they heard the 120 as they spoke with other tongues, read it for yourself. The Bible says, and all of them, the one, all the thousands of Jews heard them speaking in his language. You know what that means? All the thousands of them heard the whole group speaking his language. That means if there was a person from China there, they heard the 120 speaking in Chinese. If somebody was there from Russia, they heard all 120 speaking Russian. It's not that each one of them was speaking another known language. It was a miracle on the day of Pentecost that the whole group was speaking each person's language. Because here's the other part that nobody talks about. How come there was a group of the Jews that looked at him and said, no, they're just drunk? Listen, I've never had alcohol. Like, it's not that you ought to got drunk. But to my understanding, one of the side effects of being drunk is not that you automatically speak foreign languages. 
you don't go to the bar and slam down four shots of wild turkey and start speaking Mandarin. It doesn't work that way. It's not three bottles of Crown Royal and you can speak German fluently. Say, my God, this is amazing. No, it doesn't work like that. So what was going on? The, th the miracle that was happening on the day of Pentecost was that a majority of the Jews were hearing the whole 120 speak his language. But there was a portion of the Jews that whatever they were saying just sounded like gibberish to them and it sounded like they were babbling like drunk people. It was a miracle on the day of Pentecost. And Paul clears the whole thing up by saying that anybody who speaks in tongues does not speak unto men, but speaks unto God because he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost, I can hardly tell you how happy I am. Because once we got filled with the mighty power of God, that we received his ability, his nature, his efficiency, and his might to do the work that we've been called to do. And see, the part of the reason that when we speak the word only, that it carries power, is because the same spirit that was in Christ is the same spirit that's in you. So what empowered Jesus' words empowers your words. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching this tonight. What empowered Jesus' words empowers your words. Isn't it interesting to you that it had nothing to do with Jesus' nature in and of itself? How many, let me, by a raising of your hands, and this is not a trick question, how many of you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, from the moment he was born? Every hand should go up. You know why? Because he was. From the moment he was born, he was the Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. That's who he was. But doesn't it blow your mind that for 30 years, the Messiah lived on the earth without any sin in his life as the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh and didn't have one miracle performed in his life. 30 years of no miracles. 30 years of nothing supernatural happening. 30 years of nothing going on in the ministry. And then all of a sudden, do you think it's a coincidence that after he goes to the Jordan River and John the, Bapti the Baptist baptizes him in water and the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and he gets filled with the Holy Ghost from that moment forward for three and a third years, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. And one, one writer, it all been that all the books in the world could not contain the miracles Jesus did if they'd all been written down. It was nonstop miracles after he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice that he took men that were common men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were just businessmen. And he called them into the ministry. And then he, he said, you tarry in Jerusalem until you get filled with power from on high. And that day they got filled with power. And from that day forward, the early church was a miracle machine. Everywhere they went, signs and wonders followed them. Miracles followed them. They didn't discuss the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't sit around debating about who had the authority to do miracles and who was on deck. No, it was just everybody began to do what they were called to do. And the anointing worked 
with them. The Holy Ghost worked with them and signs would follow. That's because the same anointing that's in God's mouth and the same anointing that was in Jesus' mouth is the same anointing that got in your mouth and the power of the Holy Ghost that's in you is greater than the spirit that's in this world. Do you realize that as you speak the word of God, the wicked things that the devil has sent to destroy you are broken up by the power of the word of God being declared. I like what Pastor said, that the word tells us multiple times that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching and that when the word goes out, it accomplishes what he sends it to do, never comes back empty, never comes back void. I mean, I think about the story of uh, Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie Osteen in Houston, Texas. And decades ago, she was diagnosed with cancer and should have been dead. In fact, her husband, John Osteen, was a strong bull of a man. I mean, he was a preaching machine. He was a strong pastor. He had some great quotes. He told my father one time, he said, I pastor my church from an armchair. Hallelujah. From a lazy boy. One of the greatest quotes he ever said. He said, there's always a family in the church that runs the church. Might as well be mine. Hallelujah. <laughs> he was a funny man. But he could preach. He was a preaching machine. He was a Baptist pastor. They got filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they gave him the left foot of fellowship and kicked him out of the denomination. And he, he obviously he planted and had Lakewood Church, and now it's one of the largest churches in the nation. But his wife, diagnosed with cancer, told that she would die. And she went back to her house and took the Bible on tape. You know, we've come a long way technologically. The Bible on tape. And it's, you know, she just put it in to that tape player. There might be young people in here saying, what's a tape? They don't even know what a tape is. Don't make me talk about eight track. Amen. But <laughs> they had a tape. <laughs> LPs. Don't make me talk about the records. And all of a sudden, it's all come back in style. I've got a record player at my house again. And, and, and the tape, she put it in. You were walking in serious prosperity back then if you had a tape deck that would flip the tape to side B without you touching it. You were walking in divine prosperity. And she put that in. And, you know, back then it was, it was very limited. Now you've got the Bible app on your phone. You can listen to uh, narration of the Bible in every uh, translation and all these different voiceover uh, artists and all this. Back then you had one choice. It was just James Earl Jones reads the King James Version. <laughs> I always tell people I could never understand why they chose Darth Vader to read the Bible, but they did. <laughs> and, and James Earl Jones would read the Bible all the way through in the beginning. <laughs> and she just put that into her tape player and let the Bible play. And there, when she should have been dead, the word of God came out of that tape player and just kept getting in her body. Getting in her body, getting in her body. Let me, before I finish this story, let me show you what happened to her body. Go to Proverbs chapter 4 real quick. I want to show you scripturally what happened to her body. This is a powerful three verses of scripture that should stay with you. Because this is what happens when the word of God's being preached. And it's what's happening to people tonight. The power of God's going right into your body. Going right into your mind. Going right into your family. Proverbs 4 and verse 20 through 22. Listen to this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 
Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. The word of God is healing to your flesh. The word of God is healing to your flesh. The word of God is healing to your flesh. Kept coming out of that tape player, getting into her body, and every cancer cell was getting hammered by the word of God. Every cancer cell was getting smacked by the word of God until they finally had to tell her, we don't know what to tell you, but we can't find any cancer left in your body. And to this day, I think she's almost 90 years old. Do you know how old she is? 88 or 89? She's old. Carolyn will look it up on Google. And uh, you, you're never without information in 2021. And she's there. And to this day, when there's Sunday morning services, Miss Doty is still sitting on the front row of Lakewood Church, giving God praise, probably 40 years after. How old is she? Did you find it? She's looking for it. 40 years, huh? still doing prayer meetings, still ministering to people. And she's almost 90 years old, should have been dead decades ago. In fact, her husband, strong as a bull, is already in heaven waiting on her, and she's still down here on the earth giving the devil problems. I'm telling you, the word of God got into her. T- she went on to a, a Christian television network because they wanted to interview her on the anniversary of her miracle. And so I think she was like 85 or something at the time. And so the... the How old is she now? She's 87, so this was a couple years ago. And so she's on this program, and the interviewer is interviewing her about her testimony. And so, you know, she's giving her story, and, you know, everybody's getting blessed. And he finishes the interview by just trying, he was being a little bit funny. He said, well, you know, he said that we'd like to have you back again uh, uh, 10 years from now when you have your next anniversary. Of course, she was already 85. And she didn't miss a beat. She looked right at him. She said, if you're still alive, I'll come. (laughs) I mean, moment of faith. And the word got into her body and destroyed cancer cells, destroyed every virulent cell and commanded it to go. It had to leave her. Why? Because the word of God is health and strength to your flesh. That's why Jesus could speak the word only and sicknesses had to run out and diseases had to run out. And that's why demons had to flee, because there's power in the spoken word of the Almighty God. You know, one of the temptations we have when we see a situation is to speak from the flesh, is to say what we feel like saying. You know, one of the things I had to just keep in my mind growing up, see, because growing up in West Virginia, and as I'm sure is true here in Montana, you've got people that just kind of grew up saying certain colloquialisms, things that you just heard other people say while you're growing up and you say them too. And, you know, West Virginia, we got a lot of those phrases. And, you know, people just walk up to you, hey, buddy, how you doing? Well, I'm hanging in there. You ever heard that one? I'm just hanging, I'm hanging, I'm living. I'm just trying to get by. You hear all these colloquialisms. And then it started getting me convicted because how can I preach and believe this word and all that God said about me and let those kinds of things come out of my mouth? How you doing? I'm hang- I ain't hanging in there. I'm more than a conqueror. I am, the Bible says, I am so blessed that there's no more blessings left to be blessed with. Ephesians 1.3, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Hallelujah. There ain't no more blessings to be blessed with. I can't go around confessing, well, I'm hanging in there. I'm just getting by. I'm trying to live. No. 
No, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I go out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. Hallelujah. My basket is blessed. My storehouse is blessed. Everything I set my hand to do, it is blessed. God will open the rich treasury of his heavens over me and pour out blessings I don't have room enough to contain. My enemies will come out against me from one direction, but they'll flee from me in seven directions because I've got a God who I'm in covenant with that fights my battles for me. Hallelujah. The battle's not my battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. You ought to lift your hands and give God praise that you don't have to fight your own battles, but he's fighting for you. Hallelujah. He is greater than every attack of the devil. And the, the temptation is to hear what's going on and speak what the world would say. There's two reports at any given moment. There's the report of the world, report of the Lord. Report of the world, report of the Lord. And the reason I had you turn to 2 Kings 6, and that was just my introduction, is because, no, I'm kidding. Pick up the woman in the back that passed out. Uh, 2 Kings 6 is because there's a temptation that's provided to every Christian to when they hear the word of the Lord, see, we have to make sure that we always jump on board with the word of the Lord, no matter what it looks like. Usually because people think that the opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt, and the opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by, it doesn't say we walk by faith, not by doubt. It doesn't say we walk by faith, not by fear. It says we walk by faith, not by sight. Sight is the opposite of faith. Because if you believe what you see, you can't be in faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not. So if you can't see it, then you can't believe what you see. Feel like preaching that for a minute because if faith is the unseen thing, then whatever is in the seen realm is not of faith. And so we're not saying that they're not real things. The doctor may give you a, a diagnosis, it's a real diagnosis. He may tell you there's a problem, it might be a real problem. But I've learned in the short time that I've been alive that there's a difference between facts and truth. Facts are one thing, but facts can change, but the truth remains the same. The word of God is truth. Facts are changeable. You could come in here and you could have been diagnosed with cancer, but when the truth hits those cells, cancer has to run out of the body and your truth is greater than your facts. I remember reading about a man of God by the name of Dr. John G. Lake. Anybody remember him? He, you, you necessarily wouldn't have remembered him, but he was alive at the turn of the last century. And he went, but you may have read about him, powerful man. And he went over to South Africa during the time of the bubonic plague, which touched every continent of the world. People were dying at massive rates there was no answer for the bubonic plague. And people weren't just contagious when they were alive. They were still contagious when they were dead. To the point, I want you to think about this, to the point where the South African government back in like 1902 or 1899, they were trying to pay people $1,000 to bury the dead. 
Think about how much money $1,000 was in 1902. And they said, I mean, $1,000 is good right now. <laughs> how many would take $1,000? Amen. And so in, in 1902, the government was trying to pay individuals $1,000 to bury dead people who had died of the plague. And nobody would touch the dead. He said nobody would even attempt to bury these corpses because what would happen, the disease would become pneumatic and it would get inside the lungs and all of a sudden when they would die and they'd pass away, all of that foam would come up out of the lungs and form around the mouth like a frothed mouth. And even that foam, Dr. Lake wrote, was so contagious that if the foam touched you, you could get the plague and nobody wanted to go near it. And he traveled from the United States over to South Africa and had an assistant that would travel with him. And that assistant and he would go into homes and they'd pick up the dead bodies, take them outside and dig graves and bury them. And they never, and, and literally back then, everybody obviously was traveling by ship across the ocean. And finally, doctors and medical help came from Europe to South Africa. And they had already heard of what Dr. Lake was doing as, with his ministry and work in South Africa. So the doctors were very interested to hear what he was using as a doctor because he was a medical doctor because, before he became a preacher. And they were interested to find out what are you using so that you don't get the plague as you're dealing with all these bodies. And so they approached him and they said, Dr. Lake, we wanted to ask you, this is how they worded it in his books, what preventatives are you using so that you're not catching the plague as you deal with all the bodies? He said, brethren, I'm not using any preventatives, but it's called the law of life. They Christ, hallelujah. That's what he told them. It's called the law of life in Christ. They said, what is that? He said, I bet you'd like to do an experiment with me. And he said, so he finally, and he had to talk them into this because they didn't want to do it initially. He said, I want to show you how the law of life in Christ works. He said, I want you to scrape some of that foam from the mouth of a, a dead body, and I want you to put that foam on my hand, and I want you to look at it under a microscope. They had to be talked into it because that was a death wish. He said, I won't die. My body, this is what he would call the anointing. He said, my body's filled with the lightnings of God. Hallelujah. The lightnings of God. And he said, put it under. And they finally agreed to it. And they put that foam onto his hand. And when they looked at the cells of the plague under the microscope, they couldn't believe when they found that the cells of the plague, when they touched the skin of his hand, the cells were dying when it touched his skin. And one doctor pulled back from the microscope and said, Dr. Lake, what is that? He said, that's the lightnings of God. Hallelujah. That kills every cell, that kills every disease. And he walked like that and he lived like that. There was a young man that was brought to him one time. And the young man had stomach cancer that was so severe that it had eaten through his stomach lining and it was an open sore on his belly. And the parents brought the young boy to Dr. Lake, said, would you pray for our son? They lifted his shirt up and he saw the sore. You probably have to have faith. You know, I don't always want to see everything that's wrong with you. You know what I mean? It's like, my God, put, it, put the shirt down. My faith's fading right now. And they lifted it up. I don't need to see it, okay? Just keep it wrapped up. And they, they <laughs> I'm just telling you, sometimes it's better if the preacher doesn't know what you're dealing with, you know. 
<laughs> it's like, my God, don't show me that. And they lifted it up, and there was that sore. Dr. Lake didn't even hesitate. He laid his hand right on that open sore on that boy's stomach and prayed the prayer of faith. Loose the anointing of the Holy Ghost into that young boy. And you know what happened? Two days later, that boy was brought back to Dr. Lake by his parents. They had big smiles on their face. And when they lifted up his shirt, it was all fresh baby skin on his stomach. God had healed it. They said, but this was the weird thing. They said, look at this, Dr. Lake. What is this? And when he inspected the boy's stomach, his handprint was still there, burn a quarter of an inch deep into that baby flesh. He said, that's the lightnings of God that touched your son. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It dwells inside your body. It quickens your physical body. And when you speak, it goes out of you and touches somebody else. I want you to do, I have people do this all over wherever I preach. But if you take your hand and put it in front of your face and you say power, do that. Say power. Can you feel that coming out? You know why you feel it? It's because it's impossible to speak without releasing your breath. That's why when you're ever around somebody that talks all the time, they always got to take a breath because they're always talking. And they always take a breath. That's why. Because you, every time you speak, breath is released from your lungs. See, that's the powerful thought. That if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, the breath of God is in your body. The Holy Ghost dwells in you. Paul had to remind the Corinthian church, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He dwells in you, makes his home in you. Well, if that's true, then the breath of God is in your body. And when you speak the word of God, it's not just the word that comes out, it's the Holy Ghost that is released. And the Holy Ghost begins to manifest the mighty word of God. That is what was taking place at creation. That's what took place as Jesus walked the earth. And that's what's taking place today as we step out in faith and declare the mighty word of God. The temptation for every believer is this, to speak what they see instead of what God said. Catch that. They speak what they see instead of what God said. And here's a perfect illustration of that. The Bible says in 2 Kings 6 that there was a famine in the land. And that famine was so severe that people were dying. It was terrible. And there was so much, and of course, as you know, when there's a shortage of food, the price of the food skyrockets. I went back to Boston just a, a couple of weeks ago, and there's a place, I've taken your pastor there, we've eaten, it's a place called SS Lobster Limited. It is a wonderful place to be. This spot, I guess it's a family that owns lobster boats, They're, and they, they pull their own lobster, and they are the ones who supply all of the restaurants in that area. But they also have their own little restaurants, kind of a little dive. You can go in, everything's covered in grease, but the food is good. It's like, it's like IHOP. It should be called the International House of Sticky. Everything in there is sticky, even the waiters. Anyway, I, I took your pastor there, and we went to SS Lobster Limited. I mean, it's phenomenal. You can get a triple lobster dinner with two sides for $19.99. Three lobsters... Think about that. Three lobsters and two sides for 20 bucks. You can get a big old lobster roll for $9.99. That's unbelievable. Packed with fresh lobster meat. Well, I went back, and we just were there a couple of weeks ago. All the prices have doubled. 
I said, what happened in here? I said, I asked the lady at the booth. I said, what in the world's going on? All the prices have doubled on all the food. She said, well, you know what happened? She said, once the, once the administration changed, all of those import-export things that were happening with Canada, she said, we can't get them like we used to, and we're paying all of the taxes and the GST and all the import and export fees. We can't get lobsters coming down from Canada like we did before, and so now it's more rare and it's more scarce, so the prices go up. That's what happened in this story. The prices were through the roof. The prices of barley were through the roof. The prices of wheat, all these things. Why? Famine was in the land. But the prophet Elisha stood to declare the word of the Lord. And when prophet Elisha opened his mouth, he began to declare this. And the Bible says this. He said that by this, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in uh, what did I tell you, six? I'm in seven, chapter seven, Second Kings seven. He said, hear the word of the Lord. It's verse 1. Tomorrow, about this time. Everybody say tomorrow. You know, how, how long does it take God to work? Some people think they got to wait 20 years for God to move in their life. God can do it quickly. Can you say amen? God can work quickly. By this time tomorrow, uh, uh, the Bible says, a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now catch verse 2. And the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, Well, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, how could this thing be? He was a deacon at his local church. <laughs> well, bless God, if God opened up the windows of heaven, pastor. <laughs> how could these things come to pass? And he said, oh, it's going to happen. I want you to catch what the prophet said. He said, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. Catch that. You'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. Here's the danger that the devil wants to suck God's people into. Hear this. God's word is sure. God's word will come to pass. I tell people this because you've got to get this principle. If you doubt God's word, it will not stop God's word from coming to pass. It'll just stop it from coming to pass for you. God's going to do what he said he would do. I made up my mind, I'm never going to be on the outside looking in. I'm never going to be on the fringe wondering how come I don't have my breakthrough when everybody else is in there dancing and giving God praise because they got their miracle. But for some reason, I confessed what I saw instead of what God's word said. I'm never going to miss my blessing. I'm never going to miss my miracle. I'm never going to be outside the will of God. If God said it, I don't care how crazy it sounds. Honestly, I don't care how crazy it sounds. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to declare it until it comes to pass. Let me give you another uh, a point here that will help you. Anytime God gives you a word, it's like the enemy sends somebody to discourage your faith. Anybody ever been there before? It's like the enemy will send somebody just to start speaking words to discourage your faith. Well, brother, I know you got that word from the preacher, but you got to remember, you know, that we never know why these things happen. And sometimes, you ever notice they have that religious rock? Well, you know, I just want to keep you in a place of realistic, you know. There's always somebody that will talk you out of your miracle. Talk you, and they always do it from a point of care. You know, I'd hate to see your hopes dashed. I know you're really believing that God's going to come through for you, but let's be realistic, brother. You know, sometimes he just picks and chooses. 
I don't need people that are going to talk me out of my miracle. I need friends like the paralytic had in the book of Mark who couldn't even walk. He was on a mat. He was a quadriplegic laying there, and he needed a miracle. But he couldn't get to where the anointing was, couldn't get to where Jesus was. But he had four buddies that believed in the power of God enough to pick the corners of his mat up and march him to the house where Jesus was. And when they got to the house... It was already so packed out, they couldn't get in for the meeting. So you know what they did? They didn't kick a rock and go, well, I guess tonight wasn't your night, bro. No. They climbed up on the roof, and they tore the roof open, and they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. The point to catch here is that it wasn't just that the man went to another level to get his miracle. He had to have friends that were willing to go to another level to see the miracle come to pass. There might be some people that don't believe the word of God. It's time to start leaving that stuff behind. Because if we're going to have what God said we can have, I don't have time to hang out with the doubters and the unbelievers and those that are always bad-mouthing the supernatural power of God. I don't have time for that. Time's too short. I'm believing even for God to move in a big way. I got a generation that's on their way to hell and we're stepping out to see the harvest come in and if you don't believe it, that's up to you. But I don't have time to play games with people that are always doubting the word of God. If you're coming, come on. But get in or get out, don't get run over because the power of God's moving and Jesus is coming back and we need faith in the mighty word of God. Somebody shout amen. Well, if God opened up the windows of heaven, brother. You know, I'm sure it was tempting to listen to this dude because here's the right-hand man of the king. Probably had his nice clothes on, pulled up in his King Ranch F-250. Well, brother, I'm influential, so let me give you a few words here. I'm sure it's tempting to listen to people that seem like they got it going on. But you ain't any more special than the word of the Lord. That's what you need to tell them. Hey, you might be a specialist, but this is more special. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they'll treat you sometimes like you don't have wisdom. Catch that. Well, that's not wise, brother. <laughs> they'll give you the concern face. It's not wise. It's got to be wise. There's people that got mad at me last year because I kept traveling and preaching the word. Should stay home, brother. It's not wise. I'm not joking. There were people, that, like a school marm. I mean, if they could have got a little rod and slapped my knuckles, they probably would have. Hold your knuckles out. Not wise, brother, getting on those airplanes. Use wisdom. If I heard one more person tell me to use wisdom. It's like, what do you think wisdom is? Wisdom is believing the word of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. That's the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. <laughs> Use wisdom, brother. People coming in night. I, I, I came to, I saw a guy. He said, I'm a faith preacher. I said, praise God, brother. He said, yeah, I'm a faith preacher. I'm, a holy, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. He came to the conference. He had three masks on and black rubber gloves and a faith. Sat through the whole worship service, just sat there. I don't know what faith he has. I don't want that type. 
I'm waiting for the new model to come out. <laughs> I don't want that one in particular. <laughs> he, looked like, he looked like a plumber that had to go work on somebody's sewer vein that had broken. <laughs> it's the face he had and the gloves that he had. And that's the, use wisdom. That's how they get you to talk you out of your miracle. You're not using wisdom, brother. You know, after we got our miracle with our daughter that's on the front row and God healed her heart and God healed her blood, you know how many times the hospital called us and said, you need to get her on heart stuff. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need another shot. You need to stay on these heart pee. You know, come on and get heart tests. And I'm sure there were people that looked at us and said, they're not really using wisdom. They're not, they don't care about their daughter. No, we had a word from the Lord. She got healed to the point where the doctor had to send her home with a clean bill of health. I'm not going to get dragged in for the next 30 years of going one thing after another till they drag me in and my emotions get all tangled up. And, well, I don't know, did she really get a miracle? Did she not? I don't know, is she really healed? And then you're in a place where you're straddling the word of God and the word of man, and you don't know which one to believe because somebody's talked you in to stepping out of faith and going doing something in the natural realm. I said, forget that. If she's healed, she's healed. If God said it's done, it's done. She's not had one problem. She's not had one issue. There's been no scare. You know why? Because he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So people can get mad. Let the heathen rage. Let them get mad. My job is not to make sinners happy. I don't know why we feel like as Christians we got to keep every got to keep everybody happy. That's not what walking in love is. I had the LGBTQ community come after me in New York. A whole slew of them. They made fake Instagram accounts of me. They photoshopped me kissing men and everything else. Made me up to be a drag queen in Photoshop. I looked at those pictures. I got sick to my stomach, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to report it or take it down because that took a long time to make, and God bless them. That was somebody's whole day of work right there. I mean, they did everything they could to come against me. They, I'm telling you, they were ticked off. You preach deliverance to the captives, and people get all bent out of shape. Well, how could you speak to young people and tell them that God could deliver them from this? Yeah, because it's a sin. Doesn't mean God hates them, God loves them, but sin will send you to hell. And walking in love, let me tell you what walking in love is. It's telling people the truth in love whether they want to hear it or not. You ever think about it this way? I always explain it like this. Can you imagine my little five-year-old son when he was three? You imagine him out here playing on the interstate, out here dancing around the yellow line at three years old, two and a half years old, and me standing over on the side of the road, and I look down the, down the interstate, here comes a Mack truck. And I'm looking out there, there's my two-year-old boy dancing on the lines. You think I'm going to stand over on the side? Now, if you don't get over here, you're grounded. I'm telling you, I'm going to count to ten. The Mack truck's barreling down the road. And I got a two-year-old dancing on the highway, and I'm going to say, I'm going to count to ten, then you're going to be in timeout. He will be like Wiley Coyote pancaked on the ground if I don't make a move. And you better believe that love is going to push me in urgency to go make a move and save that boy from certain death. What is a loving father going to do? He's going to take off running toward that boy and get him out of the way before that truck comes. I'm going to pull him. If I got to go out there, I'll go out there, yank his arm, and run him off the highway. But if somebody's lens is so zoomed in 
that all they see is some big old dad running up and yanking a two-year-old's arm. They say, well, he shouldn't be rough with that boy like that. He's only two years old. He shouldn't be pulling on him, getting all wild like that. Zoom your lens out, and you'll see why I am the way I am. Because if I didn't do what I just did, here's a Mack truck coming, and my son is done for. And people say, how do you preach like that? And how come you got to be so loud? And why do you shout, jump, scream, and run, and travel the world? Why do you, why do you never stop? I'll tell you why. You say, well, you're too harsh. You tell it too true. No, it's just that I see a Mack truck coming called eternity. And if I don't tell them the truth before it's too late, it'll be too late. And I don't want to see them go to hell. I don't hate homosexuals. I don't hate lesbians. I don't hate transgender. I don't hate bisexuals. I don't hate questioning. I love every one of them. But I got to tell them the truth because I don't want to see them end in hell. I want to see them in heaven when the trumpet sounds. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And when we declare the truth, that's what love does. Love tells the truth. Yo, love stands and is bold because it knows what the truth will do for you. The truth will set you free. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. People don't like it. But our job as Christians is not to make sinners happy. People think that that's what the job of a Christian is. Just keep everybody at peace. No. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Because there's people that won't like you no matter what you do. Hear me. They'll stand against you. It don't matter how nice you are. It don't, you could bake them a pie every day of the week. They'd still hate your guts. Because it has nothing to do with you. It's about the platform you're standing on. It's what you're standing for. It's the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you, and they've got the Spirit of the world in them. And the Antichrist Spirit will never love the Spirit of Christ. Ever had somebody meet you, and they didn't like you from the start? And you're like, I haven't even talked to them. I haven't even done anything to them yet. I can't understand why they don't like me. It's because whatever's in your spirit is grating against their spirit. I've met people that troubled my spirit before I ever had a conversation with them. I was telling pastor about it, that when I was younger, I used to just push those feelings to the side and say, well, there's something wrong with me. I need it. But I understand as I've gotten older, I know what's going on. If you begin to have a discerning of spirits, you begin to understand that you can feel what's going on in somebody before you can ever talk to them and get it, get the truth to come out of them. And I told pastor, I said, I used to push that to the side when I was younger. But now that I've been around a little while, I start to know that I can trust the Holy Spirit. That wasn't my own natural feelings. The Holy Spirit is letting warning signs go off in your belly that things are not right in certain areas. It's happened for my wife. It's happened for me. It's happened for our children that we know something's up that could harm our children and she'll know it in her spirit and I'll know something in my spirit. It's the Holy Ghost giving you a warning. I told you the other night, my father, he had that vision and that thing came up in his spirit and he said, I had a vision of you about to get in a car crash and hurt yourself and I prayed in the Holy Ghost until I felt a release in my spirit. That was the Holy Ghost because that night I was in a car crash, fell asleep driving with no seatbelt 
And if I'd have hit one thing, I was done. But the Holy Ghost gave my father a word ahead of time. And that same word from the Holy Ghost saved my life. God will speak a word to you about your own body, about your family, about your mind, about your finances. God will take care of you by his mighty word. The key is we believe his word over the word of the world. I don't believe what the specialists are saying. I don't believe the report. Half of it's contrived anyway and maybe more than that. I'm telling you we've got to be these people that in the last moments of time are going to stand up and declare I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Hallelujah. Time's coming to a close. It's too short. It's too short a time to play games with the future, to play games with our family and our loved ones. It's time for us to declare, I believe and I speak the mighty word of the almighty God. Can you shout amen? amen. Now I want you to get ready because in a moment we're going to speak the word. We're going to send the word. You know, that I love that. The part of what God gives you as he gives you the ability to speak his word, part of his nature, of his omnipresence. Think about this. You can sit right here in Montana and speak a word to somebody in Europe. You can speak a word to somebody in Florida. Woo! Glory to God. My Lord. You can declare the word and things have to change. Why? Because the word of God's not bound. It knows no limitations. It's not, it doesn't get stuck inside these four walls. It goes where you send it. And the Bible says it prospers where it goes. It prospers where it goes. It accomplishes what it's sent to do. It prospers where it goes. It accomplishes what it's sent to do. I feel that. Somebody lift your hands right now. You can declare the word. You can speak the word. And when you speak it, things have to change. When you speak it, things have to change. Begin to speak to what's harassing you. I love this. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and the waves start. He's sleeping on a pillow. And the waves start. And the wind starts. And the storm's raging. Notice, Jesus stays asleep through the whole thing. Never woke up once. His disciples had to go and wake him up. Why? They were afraid. And he said, they said, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? He said, where's your faith? You know why he said that? He expected them to speak to the storm. He was saying, you shouldn't have had to wake me up. I already said, let us pass over to the other side. And if I said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. Once, Listen to this. Once Jesus spoke that word, what wave could crash his boat or sink his ship? If Jesus said we're going to the other side, no storm could make him out to be a liar. <laughs> you're going to the other side safely in Jesus' name. There's nothing that's going to sink your ship. There's nothing that's going to take you out. There's nothing that's going to destroy your family. The word is stronger than the attack of the devil. And Jesus stood up, and the Bible said he spoke and rebuked the wind, spoke to the sea, and calm hit. Notice this. He didn't gather his disciples up and say, just hug up into me now. This is why I'm here, to just hug you through the storm. You know, we'll have storms of life, but I'm just here to hold you through the storm. That's not what Jesus did. He rebuked them, and then he spoke to the wind and rebuked it, and he spoke to the waves, and it had to calm. Somebody shout, had to calm. And what I'm declaring to you tonight is these things that keep trying to launch against God's people, you speak to it. 
and command the calm. I feel like commanding the calm, commanding the calm. Doesn't matter. There's things the devil's trying to do to take the next generation. Nope, I command the calm in Jesus' name. It'll ne- Here's a phrase to learn and take with you wherever you go. It will not be my story in Jesus' name. Because you know what, Joseph, you'll have, every time you start speaking faith, somebody will come to you and tell you some story about something bad that happened. Well, you know, I know you believe like that, but you heard what happened to so-and-so. You know what you just say? Stop and say, it won't be my story in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. I fly all over the place, and, and I ha- I've had people come to me. Well, you need to watch out about flying. I know you're a preacher. But you need to be careful. You got to, you know, you heard about Pastor So and So out here. He flew in his plane crash and he died. I said, like, Yeah, I know he did. That won't be my story in Jesus' name. It's not going to be my story. In, well, you know what happened to him. Yeah, but it ain't going to happen to me in Jesus' name. Somebody else's story, Christian or, or not Christian, it doesn't have to be your story in Jesus' name. I said, It doesn't have to be your story in Jesus' name. As the team's getting ready to come, let me just share this with you. When I was at Rama, there was a girl that was going to school there, and she, uh, when she was done with her school, she worked for a corporation that did business, would fly her around to do diff- different states to do business on behalf of the corporation, and they'd fly her around on small private jets. So she might be in a jet with eight, nine people flying to the next business thing. And she wrote this, and it was in their Word of Faith magazine. I included it in my book, Blood on the Door the protective power of covenant. And here she is in this plane coming back to Tulsa, Oklahoma to come back to school. And all of a sudden the pilot comes on the uh, radio and lets everybody know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I cannot get the landing gear to come down on this jet. He said, we've tried and we've tried again and tried again. The landing gear will not come down out of the belly of the plane. And he said, so I'm just giving you a heads up. He said, what we're going to have to do as we come into the Tulsa airport, he said, we're going to have to try to land this plane, but on the belly. He said, but there's a big crosswind going on right now. He said, so probably what's going to happen, he was just preparing them. He said, probably what's going to happen, our belly's going to hit the runway, our plane's going to bounce back into the air, and the crosswind's going to flip us onto our head, and we're going to land upside down and come to a stop that way. And the medical crew, he said, we've called it in. He said, there's already medical vehicles and emergency vehicles and medical workers sitting out on the runway waiting for us because they, they know we're going to try to land it. And seriously, she said, when, I, when that report came across the speakers, she said the other people in the plane, there was mixed reactions. She said some people started swearing at the top of their lungs, cussing, swearing in fear. Other people began to weep. She said some people took their phone out and started calling their family to say their final goodbyes to their family. She said it was a mixed reaction in the cabin. She said, but when I heard it, she said, I can't really explain it to you, but there was like an anger that rose up in me. See, this is the, that's not going to be my story attitude. She said, something rose up in me like an anger. And she said, I unbuckled my safety belt and I stood up in the jet. And she said, the lady that was the stewardess ran down. She said, you got to sit down, get in the emergency position. We're getting ready to sit this down. She said, I'll sit down in a minute. And this was what she wrote. She said, I asked her though. I said, before I sit down, she said, where's that landing gear located in this plane? And the lady stopped for a second and brought herself to. She said, well, 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's right under where you're standing. And she said, that's right. You hear that devil? You're under my feet. That's what she said. And she lifted her hands. This student at Ramah, she lifted her hands. She said, in the name of Jesus, I command this landing gear, come. And she stomped her. Come down. When she stomped her foot, the plane had a jolt, and the landing gear came right out the bottom. And she wrote, we put down with the landing gear on the runway. She said, it was the smoothest landing I've ever had in any flight I've ever had in my life. And in a moment when they could have all perished and died, somebody was willing to stand up and to speak and to declare the word of the Lord and say, this ain't going to be my story in Jesus' name. And you can declare to every wicked force that's sent to destroy you, not me in Jesus' name. Not me in Jesus' Not my kids in Jesus' name. Not my grandkids in Jesus' name. And tonight we're going to declare by the power of God that I don't care. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what level the enemy has made plans to destroy America. And believe me, he has. Oh, yeah. We, I was talking about it today. If you don't see, think of it this way. We're coming to the end. We know what Bible prophecy teaches. There will be a one-world government one world religion, one world monetary system. We know that that's going to be a global control. We've got globalists working in America already. But do you know what's an interesting thought? Number one, we're probably one of the strongest nations on the earth. We're, we're one of the top dogs on the earth. Does it blow your mind that America is never mentioned once by name in Bible prophecy? So you know what that tells you? One of a few things has to be true. Either God just wasn't interested in mentioning America, or we are no longer a superpower once these end time things happen, or we've been absorbed by another nation by the time these end time things happen. You can't have global control when there are still strong independent nations like the United States of America. Why do you think people with an antichrist agenda are working to destroy the integrity and strength of America? Why do you think? They're allowing China to come in and buy so much land and buy water rights. And China bought Smithfield hams about five years ago. Why do you think they own the Waldorf Astoria in New York and all these things? Why do you think we have Russian troops off the coast of our own islands? Why do you think there's... We're all, because there's people that don't have America's interests at heart. They're globalists that want evil things with an antichrist spirit. Hear me, these aren't conspiracy theories. This is, as Christians, these are Bible prophecies that are coming to pass. And if you understand it the way that we do, if all these things are coming to pass and the devil has a plan to destroy America, we have to say, while the church is still here, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, we've got the dominion and authority to declare, not me in Jesus' name, not while I'm here in Jesus' name. Catch this. The Bible, Paul writes this and tells us that before the Antichrist can reveal himself, the one who is restraining him must be moved out of the way. There's been debate. What does that mean? Well, it ain't going to be the Holy Ghost. He's omnipresent. It's going to have to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who has power and authority over the devil. Jesus said, I give unto you authority over all the power of the devil. The devil, my father used to preach this for years. He said, if I was still here while the Antichrist was here, what would stop me from going to wherever he is and casting the devil out of him? Because I've got power over the devil. See, you understand, 
we can't be here in power and in strength while the devil takes control. There will never be a time where the devil has authority and control over the people of God. We've got authority over him. And that's why we got to be moved out of the way before this thing can happen. But while we're still here, we're going to stand up and declare, not me, not my family, not my school system, not my state, not my town, not my neighborhood, not my kids or grandkids. In Jesus' name, we're going to declare that the glory of God is taking over in our house, over in our family, over in our body, over in our mind. In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. Control. You've got control through the words God's given you to speak. The devil doesn't have authority over you. You've got authority over him. Somebody say it again. It's not my story. Oh, yeah. It's not my story. We're going to have what God said we can have. We're going to walk how God said we can walk. We're going to have what the word of God prescribed for the children of God. Here's Here's a picture of it in the Old Testament. They leave Egypt. That was a sign of the control of sin and Satan. Slavery. But God set them free. That's a picture of salvation. But what did the psalmist write? When they came out of Egypt, there was not a feeble one among them. Everybody was healed. It's God's desire to heal physical bodies. You realize nobody came through the Red Sea with a walker with tennis balls on it? Not one person. You know why? Because their hands had to be free to carry the gold and silver that they'd plundered the Egyptians and taken their wealth. You know, the Bible says they were loaded down with the gold and with the silver. For God had told them to go and inquire of every neighbor and ask them for their gold and their silver. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Hey, uh, ring the doorbell. I'd like to make sure. Do you got all your gold and silver together? I'd just like to take that if you don't mind. I'm just going to go on a little trip here. And they're like, yeah, sure. Hold on one second. And their neighbors gave them what they asked for. God bankrupted the nation in one day. And out they carried the gold and the silver and the wealth of Egypt. Not a feeble one among them. No more slavery. No more weakness and sickness. No more poverty. It is the redemption power of God. And the same things God did for them, He's done even greater for us. Because we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. And we're the blessed people of God. Can you say amen? Stand on your feet all over this house and lift your hands to heaven. We're going to declare it. We're going to declare it. We're going to declare it over our nation. We're going to declare it over our state. We're going to declare it over our families, over our children. We will not be the same. I said we will not be the same. Whatever you see happening, it's not going to be your story. It's not going to be your story. In Jesus' name. Your children will stand head and shoulders above the rest. Your grandchildren will stand head and shoulders above the rest. Whatever wicked thing is creeping through this nation and this culture, it won't touch my kids. It's not going to be their identity. They're not going to go through the the sin and the mess that's in this world. We're going to declare this. The devil's staying far from my home in Jesus' name. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered by the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout that word, scattered. 
I expect the devil to run from us. I expect I expect demonic power to flee from us. I expect sickness to run from our bodies. I expect depression to run from our homes. I expect anxiety to run from our situations. In the mighty name of Jesus, I expect poverty and lack to leave and loose and let go in Jesus' mighty name. I expect the blessing to come. I expect healing to come. I expect peace to come. I expect joy to come. I expect promotion to come. I expect success to come. Why? Because I'm connected to the Almighty God. So are you. We've got a covenant. We've got a covenant. We've got a covenant. Glory to God. We've got a covenant. Lift your hand.